Welcome to Brunch with Billionaires with your host, Tamara Lur, Forbes Top 11 Most Powerful Leaders. When it comes to billionaires, everybody certainly has an opinion. They all think, in general, that they are evil, right? Well, I know plenty of billionaires, so I say wrong. There are plenty of billionaires out there that are using their powers for good. Look at Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and the amazing things they have done to improve the lives of others. But what about hedge funds? After watching the series Billions on TV, I wanted to know if they are really as evil as they depict in the show. So in this podcast episode, I'm going to ask an insider, Hither, who grew up in the hedge fund and financial world and ask her the hard question that we put out as part of our podcast series. Can you get to B without being a C in the financial sector? Hello, everyone. I'm sure you just uh, enjoyed that intro about Hither and you're thinking, oh, my God, I can't wait to meet this amazing Dynamo woman. Well, look out. Uh, I hope you've had a coffee because we are going to go deep. We are going to be real Aussie to Monaco and we are going to talk about what it takes to be a billionaire. So Hither from the Billionaire Project in Monaco, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Tamara. Absolute pleasure. Now, we got to know each other on stage in Clubhouse, which is interesting, where we were both showing up and, uh, you know, being role models for women around creating wealth and not just wealth, but intergenerational wealth and really shifting things for women. So I'm so glad you're here today to talk to us and share with us what it takes to be a billionaire and, uh, you know, your path towards becoming a billionaire. Now, let's go back a bit. You are in trading, right? What do you do for a living? Tell me a little bit about it because not many people know about hedge funds, right? No, I guess not. Uh, So financial trading is my second wave of wealth. My first wave of wealth came from real estate and I've got a huge portfolio in the UK. I'm actually now into bridging finance. So the way I would kind of uh, introduce myself would be a heavy investor in private equity. Financial trading is what's made me just more intellectual around where my money goes because I understand the liquidity behind the markets and that's where the billions are you know private equity is one area of course and then taking companies public let's face it every billionaire that we've known ever has always been a stock price uh, individual so that's where my focus is and that's why I moved to Monaco to really push those ventures of course also bring in other people from all parts of the world so that they could learn because not many people know how to do it investment banking I guess because I mean that has always been a bit of a boys club and you know very much from the kids that came out of say private school I mean I'm an underdog I don't know about you did you grow up in a rich family around this stuff I mean I grew up around you know, Indigenous culture and a public school because the nearest private school was two days drive. Oh, wow. Okay, well, I mean, you're so impressive. So I I love hearing about how you've started the way you did and got to where you are. To be honest, it's, um, I went to a private school, but I got a scholarship because, and and my family were middle class, but my dad was not a very strong business guy. So actually ended up losing everything um, from just not negotiating well. And we started from scratch. So I remember when I was nine years old, we were pretty much homeless, moved to the UK. And on a welfare level, that that was my parents, they, they struggled with jobs, but they just, they were working really hard. And they 
pushed the education angle. So I went to private school. So I was around wealthy people all the time. And I've always felt the underdog. So to that point where you mentioned it, 100% I am. In investment banking or financial trading or anything like that was never on my radar because I was a medical professional when I first started and finished university, etc. And it was only when I when all my friends have always been boys, I just was a bit of a tomboy growing up. I found that was my natural inclination. And I, I was fascinated with competing with the boys and everything they did seemed more interesting than the average female. Um, and I got into it because I thought, wow, that looks fun. And it never once occurred to me until a much later date that I'm the only female. It took me all my 20s to realize that because I just felt at home in a group of all men, alpha men, and it never really intimidated me. So when I come to the coaching aspect that I do now in my part, of, in this part of my life, I am amazed when I initially found women intimidated by the lack of women. You know, they were like, I don't want to do that. It's scary. Men are not very nice. And I, I just never had that. So I guess that's the reasons why I'm comfortable with it. Let's be honest. You and I have been told more than once that perhaps we intimidate women. Why do oh, you think goodness. that is? I mean, you know, you and I on stage um, in some of those clubhouse rooms, we, you know, we we tell it straight, right? Um, yeah. we, we kind of don't like the wannapreneurs. We're very much about don't manifest, go do, like take actions. Like you are who you hang around and you are what you apply yourself to. So why is confidence in, in the eyes of women seen as intimidating, yet to men seen as, you know, that they really do encourage that? I mean, I, I found that as well. I had so many amazing male mentors who yeah. would say to me, you know, you need to build your confidence and let me help you and nurture you so that you can step into your genius. Yet women find that um, intimidating. Yes, it's a very good point. And it's the reason I became a public speaker in 2012, because before that, it, it didn't bother me. And I was like, okay, I haven't got three male friends. And okay, they don't understand me. Okay, I had probably had one or two. And they were very similar to me. And I'm probably like you, they were very alpha in that approach, as in they were just not the type of women that would uh, complain if someone didn't like them or you know so I never really understood this so I had to study what women get intimidated by and when I look at the history the history of females have been so regressive in them in many ways they haven't had a reason to step up or to be a, a breadwinner or to be a, a real leader I when I look at my childhood my dad didn't have any sons and he always, and I remember the phrases, he said, you can be my son because he thought she's tough. She likes racing, you know, go-karts with the boys and she's always competitive. And they brought out the competitive edge. Later on in my life, when I was studying in Oxford and I was speaking to a ex-director from JP Morgan, a female American, and she's a key, like one of the two females I've come across in my whole career with T1 Banks. And she mentioned that the reason why women are not in an alpha male dominated or definitely a financial background or industry is because they lack the competitive edge as a young girl when they are being brought up. The parenting of these girls is so different. And when I think, oh my gosh, that is so true. My parents raised me like a boy and they raised my other sisters like girls. They went to girl school, I went to co-ed. So it's huge, you know, it's, it starts from such a young age and it is so difficult to change 
very like if you if you've been to a girl's school all your life and you've never competed with the men then as an adult you are definitely going to struggle to keep up or just you're going to find everything intimidating because mm-hmm. women have a very different dynamic so that's why i i feel but i'm coaching some and the ones who are the best have come from a similar background they were comfortable with the boys they used to compete etc i think it's it's difficult with the ladies that haven't been competitive or had co-ed like men in their circle when they were growing up boys rather so i'm still figuring out how to get women to really want to be in this world and want to be a billionaire let's face it this is what we're here for billionaire the word alone is an off-putting word for women they think mm-hmm. it's coming with a load of greed um they're like well this isn't interesting to me i just you know what do you think tomorrow don't they try and make up that, that they don't need it they they absolutely have this and and you know i i agree they probably no one needs to be a billionaire but my problem is why isn't the wealthiest person on earth a female and that's my human rights issue with the world you know this whole boys club because it's we're not intellectually incapable there is something else holding women back and that's well we make great leaders at the end of the day you know women lead with their head in their heart and I actually think that's our secret source but what's really interesting is you know as I was getting into business cracking the 1 million cracking the 10 cracking the every time I got to a milestone you know there's less and less women at the table so which is really um shocking for me so I'm I mentor and people say well why do you mentor it's because I want to help men in business but those that lead with head and heart so I mentor those that are committed to impact I'm not giving my genius or my magic to anyone who who is doing bad by people or planet and then I mentor these women because you know they really need to be told you know you can do this and and you're capable of this and it's not faking it till you make it it's actually understanding what you're capable of and women are extremely resilient uh, now, if they applied the same things that they would to their children to go on and battle for them and do anything yeah. for them, how do we apply that same gumption, that same confidence, that same don't think about it, just go for it in business, which is, you know, the sort of things that we do as women to protect our cubs. You know, how do we apply that same warrior-like? And there's been warrior women in the past. It's just I grew up in a family where I was told I didn't need Luckily for me, I was born with looks. You don't even need a driver's license. You can just marry a rich man. I did the opposite, my love. I was just like, no no way. That's not going to be my projection. And, you know, was one of the first people in my family to go on and start a business. So uh, it's interesting. It can swing both ways. But there's an amazing Australian who's a billionaire and Gina Reinhart. I don't know if you know her, but her family, her father groomed her to take over the business. So a bit like what you were saying. So, you know, you're stepping up and I'm stepping up and saying, okay, millions are great. What can we do with billions? Now, yeah. what I find with women with billions is, you know, they're not buying the Lamborghini and they're not, you know, having this massive yacht and five of them in big houses. Yes, they they like nice things, but they're really thinking about how do I use my billions for good? How can yeah. I impact my community? How can I impact? So that is why I think women need to stand up on a chair and just like other swear words that we got comfortable with saying, I want them to stand on a chair and say the word billions a lot of times. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the good thing about social media, 
is that we are getting more awareness of the wealthy women out there because back when I was in my 20s there was just the books and just the people you saw and and very poor internet so I love that we're seeing more female billionaires from all walks of life, you know, Instagram billionaires, women, and the most unorthodox manners sometimes. So I, I just think I do feel in my lifetime that it will be a definitely a 50-50 split for like the top 20 one day because these huge industries, women are now having making choices that they've never done before. And if you study Melinda Gates' approach to why women have sort of played the smaller game, it all changed massively and for, for the better when family planning came in. And I know that families take up so much energy for women and they're incredible mothers, many of them. And that's where, unfortunately, they lose momentum. Not yourself, as you've been a fantastic mod role model, but other women that don't have the tenacity that you have or can't just rewrite the rule book because you know you've made brave decisions that many women would naturally not be able to do even the confidence to say well I'm going to marry someone who will look after my kids more at home than I will you know that that dynamic alone is so uncomfortable women want the comfort zone so we're in a limbo phase with women overall where they want money but they want to comf be comfortable. They don't want to get really, they don't want to do the difficult stuff. And it comes down to, can you deal with stress? Because you know, as much as I do, that making a lot of money comes with so many financial legal pressures, litigation, everything. You've got to cover so many bases. There are more vultures out there too. And men have that almost naive approach to life where they just are so like not emotional at, at points. Uh, they can deal with it better. And women just think, oh gosh, is this battle worth it? And then they just find more significance in other activities such as family, et cetera, which is beautiful. But I certainly want to see more billionaires and the richest female on the planet or the richest person on, in, on the planet is a female. That would be when I feel my the way of the world has really changed for the better because we're not there yet. We're far too far away. And the gender pay gap alone is a problem. And that's something I'm not happy with. I actually think you've got to tackle the problems that we can solve, right? And you and I don't go into battle on something that we know we're not going to win. I'm pretty sure you're not a high gambler like me because I just know the odds. When I look at the, the gender gap, I kind of go in the salary gap. I go, well, you know, this is going to take 200 years at the current trajectory for us to get to where we need to be. So let's just abandon that model and talk about women in business. If we're not getting what we want from serving others in business, how do we start our own businesses and there's only really two ways to make money when you first get started is business and property and then looking at how do we then go into deep wealth creation so one person uh, that mentored me when I was quite young said you are within five percent of the people you spend 95 percent of your time with you mentioned that you moved there so that you could be around more billionaires what are the traits of these people because what's interesting is when you say hedge funds uh, or even if you say entrepreneurs, right, even if you look at entrepreneurs and really rich people, all the TV programs make out like they're a bunch of devils, right? Billions, for example, the show, uh, they really portray the, are they actually that bad? Are they toe cutters? Have you seen that? And or is there another side to these billionaires that we're not seeing that, uh, you know, we can relate to because you're hanging around these people every day? 
Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the the one billions is very accurate for the financial world. I hate to say it, but the kind of people in the trading world, the the hedge funds, the people running the hedge funds, they are not particularly nice people. So yes, they they do exist. Then I'm thinking of entrepreneurs that I've met a lot in in Monaco. They come from the hotel industries, or the clothing industries, you know, oil and gas. I'll be honest, uh, there are some, there's 50-50. Like, I don't like all of them, I'll be honest. And it doesn't mean I, I that's what billionaires have to be like, but there are the nice ones. So the nice ones are the ones who are self-made, usually. In fact, all of these people are self-made, but they've had, some of them have just turned out to be really, like, they don't care that any nobody likes them and they don't actually speak to anyone. So they, I'll see them walking to their yacht they have just had a massive headline about they've uh, declared a bankruptcy when they're worth a few billion and they've laid off, you know, through COVID. So many workers, it was a major announcement. And by saying these things, people probably know who I'm talking about, but this guy's always in Monaco, massive yacht, always on the sea, and nobody likes him. But yet, he doesn't care and he doesn't like anyone else either. So the difference I see with those people is that they just don't care for validation. But I, I mean, let's speak about the, the ones that are very nice. The very nice people are just, in my opinion, they don't have time to waste. So they, they I think the thing that is so important to understand is they don't do small talk. Like they'll do small talk with you if they just initially have met you and, you know, they want to catch up. But generally they keep it to a minimal, you know, they're, they're obsessed with work, they're obsessed with their network, and they only ever meet people that could potentially bring value to them. So they're so selective. I've never seen them waste time, etc., on anything. And hence, when I speak to them, it's only ever about their relationship, believe it or not, that's like one area they're not very good at, or how they can make more money. So they always ask me about their investment areas, because one of them lost 50 million with a with a bank and they were asking what my approach would have been you know and that those are the conversations so it was never just oh let's talk about your mom or let's talk about I don't no one talks about that um and the third aspect is succession they really struggle so one of the billionaires I know he is 67 he's one of the young ones in Monaco everyone is 65 to 85 usually so quite an old age gap um age bracket and this individual has not written a will He's got three daughters and he's terrified of letting go of the control. So I secretly think he would rather have the whole thing burn as he died. Like he doesn't trust the succession plan. Um, so it's so interesting. They have neglected so many areas of their life, especially when they've had kids. But these are men. I haven't come across a female billionaire in Monaco. So mm -hmm. I can only speak to men. Uh, there are women in America that are billionaires. I haven't met them. And there are others that in the world, but I don't know them. So I cannot comment about the women. But from a male perspective, that's what I see. It's it's not always pretty, but it's uh, it's the truth. You know, they're very, very private. And I got introductions through people. You never can just network with them. They don't talk about their money um gen casually there's always a wikipedia people know about them before perhaps and the last thing i want to say about them is in an investment group because we're always in investment clubs as such or their pitches to us and they're they are the least aggressive in investing they will hardly ever get involved they think everything is 
is not right. They only trust their industry. So they're not very good at diversifying. So I'm going to break all the myths that people think billionaires are good at. They're not good at diversifying. They don't trust anything else other than what they know. And they're the last one to put money into a venture, just so you know. <laughs> it, might, it might take 20 years of getting to know someone before they do, but um, or a huge recommendation. But it would have to be in the industry they completely understand. They would never put it into property if they were from a tech background. They're not interested in that. They they stick to what they know. Which is interesting. Um, not the approach that we're we're told when it comes to wealth creation, right? It's all about diversification. So, you know, so when we talk about your path to billionaires, and I know females who are billionaires, uh, and they're, they're, they 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 spend the time. They actually take the time. They genuinely care to know about, you know, your family and who you are because they see that as a insight into how you are and how you arrived, which is really interesting. Uh, they usually do take the time, but they're super tough. I mean, they've got the battle scars to prove it. They've, you know, had to, uh, you know, work probably 10 times harder than most people at the same level. So, you know, I, I respect and admire them. The thing that I think about uh, when I meet billionaires and, and males as well, I mean, we've had some amazing male billionaires on the show who are committed to giving back. And now there's this pledge where, you know, people who are billionaires are pledging to give it all away uh, to, you know, the environment. You've just seen that recently, you know, to ESGs and to, you know, saving the planet and its people, which is an interesting succession plan. But let's go back a bit. What is your pathway to becoming a billionaire? And why do you want to go after this, knowing that this is the space where they all live? Because these are going to be your friends. So are you hoping to bring some with you that aren't like that? Is What's your whole plan with this chase after the billions? Because I'm, I mean, I've seen your Instagram, you like finer things, but it can't just be about that. You're very right. It's definitely not. And uh, we can all, anyone who's got wealth can understand very quickly that to have all the nice things, you don't actually need to be anywhere near a billionaire. You can just about, you can be a millionaire and, you know, five, 10 million, and you can have everything you need. You don't need to have more, to be honest, but for the stuff. So I definitely do it for the stuff. I mean, the reason why I became who I am today in terms of being out there and, and speaking and being this the first female trader and educator on the planet, on the speaking circuit since 2012, is literally because I was sick of seeing no women representation on this world, in this world that we're in. And the misogyny was really, really getting to me. I've been, like, I never use the word victim, but I've been on the brunt of the misogynist all the time. Like, men don't always like me. They prefer, I mean, nice guys do. The, you know, the, the, the modern male enjoys having... The enlightened male, we call them. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. They're, those ones we love. Uh, but there are tons of those misogynists out there. And I do it for the women. So definitely for me, I don't like any of the like all the ones I mentioned that are not very nice. And they're the old fashioned, the old, you know, the really old versions of the billionaires. I don't want to be like them. I want to be like the modern, uh, modern billionaires that are a lot more philanthropic and in fact, I didn't mention one of them in Monaco is all about charity. He's a billionaire, only a single digit billionaire. You know, like, I mean, that's kind of the thing that happens in Monaco. People understand are they a double digit billionaire or just, you know, the one figure. Um, and he's OK, worth 1.6 or something like that. So not huge, but he's all about charity now because his son has a dis disability. So he's a lovely guy. I like people like him. And I certainly my plan 
is to be, I've got a, a bridging fund. I have a, a private equity interest. I've always been obsessed with public markets and private equity. So those that's the way, I mean, before I was so revenue driven, revenue alone is never going to make you a billionaire. So I've made so much money in my life uh, and net worth through the traditional property. The first wow amount of net worth came from being a shareholder in a hedge fund. And that's when I realized, oh my God, this is how people's net worth is brought up because I was bringing some AUM, but not everything, but because I negotiated a percentage, I was certainly worth so much more. And then that game started playing in my mind. And hence I moved to Monaco uh, many years later. And now it's all about net worth. I'm creating companies, I'm investing companies that which will have either a private equity element or we take them public. Uh, you know, the scaling, multiple exits, et cetera. That's what I'm I'm doing with the billionaire project. And the aim is, and why I wanted to do it, honestly, that chip on my shoulder that I always wants to compete with the men. And I want to show people, especially, I have doubters, you know, I have doubters in the UK, um, which have silent, are silent now, but male, every time I stepped on stage, because I had these big events that I used to run, all by myself and never collaborated in the past with uh, anyone else and they were very jealous so men have been very competitive and they couldn't see me coming and they couldn't think they didn't see that she's got the tenacity she has I'm just doing it to prove to all the women and male uh, you know doubters that this can be done and you can be a nice happy person at the end of it I'm very fulfilled I'm in a very happy relationship and I wouldn't change it for the world but in terms of personal, like, what do I want from it? I don't dream of, oh, I want this amazing extra, extra large house or yachts. Like that doesn't interest me anymore. In the past it's done, but it hasn't. I've got everything now. For me, it's more, let's try really show people how to do it. And I've actually got mentees that are making millions more because I've helped them. And now we're working in Monte Carlo to raise capital for their ventures. And I'm going to make them shareholders of their projects, et cetera, with that. And that's how they're going to build net worth. So I'd rather do it the way you mentioned, bring new people with me rather than mix in with the current because I don't want to learn from their bad habits. I'd rather create new ones. And making money is an easy task. It's just getting past a rejection because it's such a male-dominated industry. So once you do that and keep pushing, keep pushing, uh, I think it's so possible. So it's a, a game of who keeps standing or who the last person standing hopefully is a female and then she'll keep going. That's what I see it as. I love that. And I think what's also important to note is that they have lots of friends and family or friends and network beside them that that help them. And, you know, one thing that women are good at is cutting each other down. So how do we come together then and stand yeah. in a line and, and really, really support each other, which is what I love about YPO. You know, we've, we're only 10% of the organization as women, but, you know, we've got to this point and to get to that point, we're in 0.01% of all women who will ever get to this revenue size. So, you know, there's already scarcity and we, we, we cling together because we know there's not many of us. And I think it's really important for us. Not many of us are mentoring. Not many yeah. of us are saying this is how, because I've spent millions of dollars, probably tens of millions learning mistakes like we all have. 
that I don't want to see other women make the same mistakes. I want to be able to experience, share with them and say, look, this is this is the difference. This is what I did. And this is, you know, look out for that mind <laughs> just there. There you don't yeah. sit on that. Um, and you know, this is this is something to keep in mind because we don't know what we don't know, correct? And 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 that's really important. And and together we might all get to a billion you know, together or a billion valuation, two or three of them. But whatever we're doing to support each other to create that wealth creation and have more women at that top end of town, along with those enlightened men who are coming through, by the way, you know, there's there's some really amazing men who are, are billionaires doing wonderful things in the world that, uh, you know, I think in combination could be a great next mix. So thanks for confirming that billions is uh, actually probably fairly true. Um, I do love that show. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's good to know that there's a shift and there's other women out there. Now, you have yeah. like 800,000, nearly 800,000 followers on Instagram. So you've been doing this for a while. And yes. most people with money keep it fairly quiet. Now, yeah. you said that that's to share your knowledge and help people generate their own wealth, correct? So Talk to me about the academy because uh, we also have an academy and we're helping people win online. You're helping them in a different way. Talk to me about how that works. You mentioned something that's really sensitive and actually it's something that everyone should know that having a lot of money as a female was very uncomfortable because, to be honest, social media was something I was scared of because I had extortion attempts. So that was when people are trying to, you know, use you as bait to but basically people wanted to steal money from me and from a physical point of view so very scary and this is before I started social media how did I get the confidence my best friend now was my close protection officer and he looked after every big name you mentioned he was from I, I literally found him from a company that looked after people like Donald Trump, uh, Abramovich, who was a personal bodyguard to Abramovich, etc. So, you know, fast forward, and he is my best, one of my best friends, you know, the ones you can count on uh, five on your The hand. ones you can call at 3 a.m. in the morning, but in, you yeah. know, have you back. I love Exa- it. Absolutely. You and, and, you know, exactly. And um, so, you know, just that type of person gave me the confidence to be open and on social. And I don't do the stupid things. I let people know where I live and all of that. So social media has to come in with a lot of sophistication. So I made a very strong choice that if I'm going to do this, it's going to come with risk if I'm naive or if my partner is naive and if we expose our, you know, uh, vulnerabilities so people can find us, etc. So you've got to be very careful. But the bigger reason was way more than me. Like I am like a speck. I am a nobody in, in, you know, in the bigger picture. So I want to do this for the impact I create in my lifetime. We're only here the one time, as we all know. And I wanted to, I literally was like, what else is there to do? I had no real fulfillment before mentoring because I created a lot of money in my twenties. I was very unhappy until I had a good relationship. I didn't really feel, and, and the two came together. I was coaching and then I found a relationship, you know, so it's so interesting that when I became very aligned to who I wanted to be, that's what gave me that real fulfillment in life. So I do the mentoring because for me, that's a way of giving back. It's not a charity by any means. It makes a lot of revenue, but it is my way of getting that I'm making a difference because otherwise I can just keep signing contracts with 
people behind closed doors and make lots of money. And honestly, that will move me backwards. And I would just be like, what am I doing it for? You know, it doesn't excite me. So I wouldn't want to become a billionaire if I was just doing it behind closed doors. But the fact that I am putting myself out there um, and using it as an example, I have affected so many people, hundreds and thousands over the last 10 years. They've always said to me, I have made so much money from listening to you. Some people just from reading the posts, I've never met them, but they've been reading my LinkedIn or my Instagram and listening and watching. And they just said, you have helped me raise my game. That alone is worth it for me. The others that I've actually directly mentored, I've seen the results. I love it. I live for that. You know, that is that serotonin that I'm living for now. Uh, the dopamine that comes from that. Not saying I get validation from it, but it's certainly giving me purpose. You know, it, it's... I, I know that it's a tough game. People love you. They can hate you. So I'm not, I'm not an idiot to that, but I absolutely love it. And I, everything that comes with it, the mess that can come with it from being online. Uh, and I plan to keep going more because um, this is, again, linked to why women play the smaller game. We, if we shy away from attention, if we shy away from putting ourselves out there, that is why men are playing that bigger game and women are not. So we just have to compete at that same level. So keep going, any female. And Tamara is a fabulous person. And I have to add that because of women like you, I have felt a lot more comfortable uh, being just a wealthy female. So I have to say huge thanks because it's just so difficult to find women who are as well-rounded and just such a healthy human being and have a health and a huge success financially, I really struggle to find those. I'm still in such a male dominated world that I don't find many females. So women like you, I really do respect. You have to come to LA and hang out with a few. There's some pretty amazing women, but thank you for those kind words. I think, I think we're all actually seeking out each other, to be honest. And what's great is we're not making it closed off and we're opening the door and saying, hey, come ask us those questions. And I think the key thing is, is we don't trade in scarcity. We trade in abundance. When I see you and I hear you, you know, giving hard, honest, but really valid feedback to women on stage, I admire that. I, you know, I go, go girl. Like I, I'm proud to be a woman, you know, and that I think is the difference. Every woman that I've met who is on, who is a billionaire or on their way to be a billionaire, a great friend of mine, Tony Co in LA, she just exited for over 500 million. Like they just trade in abundance and confidence. It's two yeah. things they carry. And, you know, what comes with that is also, you know, we want to look good. We take care of how we look, how we feel, our mind, our health. We 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 like to dress well. We like to do all these things because it's part of what makes us feel like we are out there being ourselves because you know it's not about having to get dressed up most of the stuff I do is not even with makeup on it's about showing up in confidence no matter where you are and in abundance wherever you are and the more of us women who have these conversations and say hey guess what we're not at the top cutting each other down like the men are doing on billions billions of shows we're actually supporting each other and and we're helping each other and we're connecting to one another I think that's really important and by the way we haven't forgotten about you guys we want to teach you. We want to mentor you. So I agree with that. When I get a win from one of my mentees, 
one just rang me the other day and was telling me that they just did their first $1 million month. And they came to me when they were doing like 300,000 a couple of years ago. Like I'm like a proud parent. There's nothing better, isn't there? It's just, I don't know, maybe I'm showing my age now, but I just really love that. Um, I know. Now, it's now you don't have kids, right? You have a fur baby. I love my fur yes. baby too. And one thing that we quite often get told is, oh yeah, but you compromise. Like I get told I compromised, you know, because if you have kids, you can't be successful because what, you know, you have to give something. So you've obviously had to compromise your family, which I call BS on all the time, because when you have money, you have resources, you can pay for resources so you can get quality time with your kids and you don't have to be doing all these menial tasks. Now, another question that I get asked, I'm going to ask it to you because I think we're at that point we've known each other long enough. People say to me, you know, could you imagine your life without your children? Like imagine not having kids. Most of my LA friends don't have children. And I quite often say my life would be just as fulfilling. I'm so glad I have them. Don't get me wrong, but it doesn't complete me as in my extension of me is me. I'm happy Absolutely. with me. So do you get questioned, like, how old are you? You, oh, you don't have to answer that. Oh, no, I'm happy You're at to a say point that. where you should be, people are going to be saying, why don't you have babies yet? So why don't you I'm, have babies yet, my love? <laughs> of course. I, it's a very important question. That's for women. This is, like, the key thing. Like, they need to figure out, is this, you know, this is a horrible uh, area for them to make a decision on sometimes. And I just turned 40 this year, so March, so way past now. baby. <laughs> well you know we have no control over us no point complaining i'm just happy with health that's it happy. but in the meantime uh yeah in terms of kids in my 20s if someone asked me are you gonna have kids i'll be like yeah i want like three um i didn't have a good relationship in my 20s and i'm glad i didn't have kids but when i got it's a weird thing i mean i've been so anti um well i've been the black sheep in my family so the tradition was something I kind of everything they I saw growing up I wanted to do the opposite so there's a little bit of a rebel in me forever that will never want to conform to what I saw growing up it really gives me a real I get a kick out of it you know like just marrying out of my culture I love that um doing everything unorthodox like living alone or with a partner before you got married like that was completely tabooed in my whole family so I did things that everybody else would be like that's just normal but for my family it was not mm -hmm. and that type of version of me has always so I the reason I haven't had kids well only after I got I mean before I got married I had a conversation with my partner I said if you definitely want kids then don't get married to me because I don't know if I want to I was literally 50 50 I wasn't I, I didn't mind either way because I knew I would have nannies I would have like it wouldn't stop me. I would do probably do homeschooling and I would never stop being who I wanted to be. But I felt that why would I want to have kids? And it was, I, th I think the coaching gives you a maternal element. Having the pet, my baby little Coco, who is like a little fur baby, it filled a maternal void in a weird way. It is obviously not exactly the same. Not weird. But <laughs> not, not weird, weird right? I, I think I, I love pets more than humans and they're just the most angelic things. And ever you since- You can say that, pets more than billionaires now <laughs> in your <yeah>. world. <laughs> oh, of course, much more. And ever since that void has been filled, 
like I don't feel I love kids I have nieces I just have a new one recently and it's just like I am the best aunt I love them I hug them I'm not one of those ladies that hates kids or you know I can get on with kids they love me as well I'm very good with child psychology and everything else I am the aunt they all love because I understand them I buy them nice things of course and you know I, I I'm like my I help my sisters be better parents and their husbands because I really love human behavior psychology but I feel like nothing's missing I honestly don't and I've, I've toyed with the idea of what happens when you're older and you've got no kids well I love my life and I know that I will figure it out like no matter what I don't feel it was a necessity and the last thing I would say is I didn't want to be an older mom I really if I was gonna have I mean there's nothing wrong with it and I think it's great but the energy that's required let's not pretend that energy is required for being a mom but in my 20s I had loads of um energy and my 30 and definitely when you turn 40 I love my sleep like I'm being really honest here like I absolutely love it and just to think that people have to go through hell waking up and stuff like that I mean and I don't do school runs I wouldn't do any of that so that there's so much that I think definitely don't want um it doesn't make me lose sleep at night so I'm okay with it you know so that's where we are at and it's it's actually more and more women I've found are okay with it and even a really successful female in Monaco she is so good she's like a real estate mogul in that place and she's got one daughter and she's one of my good friends she's friends with Chris Jenner um and you know she hangs out with them on the yachts and whatever for summer but she tells me I don't know why I had my daughter she goes it was the she she literally understands why I don't want a child because she said it just ruined her life she's an entrepreneurial woman and at that moment she was like what on earth have I done her daughter is nowhere near as successful as her and is completely not the succession plan she wanted but she she was she gave me confidence and just knowing that Angela this lady who gave me confidence for not wanting to have kids like this conversation needs to happen a bit more so I want to be that voice to women that are half and half make the choice and just it is a choice you know and that's the thing we did so what I'm trying to paint here is that if you choose to not have kids it's not because you chose business over it and because you sacrifice children because you were more interested in money. And that's, yeah, that's the thing I want to stress. Like you can have a fulfilling life without children. I mean, I was lucky. I wasn't going to do it with nannies. I wanted someone there to look after them. Otherwise, what's, you know, and be a parent. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, you you end up having children and you see this in Hollywood all the time. You know, this the parents are all out partying and the kids just have no direction no nurturing, you know, and and we're not creating those children that we need for the next generation. So if I did, if I do anything, I want to do it well. So I, I did it like a true entrepreneur and delegated it. So my husband was at home, you know, he did stay at home dad and it was fantastic because they always still love their mummy and want their mummy. But, you know, at the end of the day, my children didn't know that women weren't the breadwinners until someone pointed it out. They did not know that wow. flexibility at work and you can travel and say yes to whatever you want to wasn't a thing. So exactly. it's really interesting. They're, they're totally unemployable, by the way, uh, totally unemployable because their perception of what life is with business and money is completely different because they yeah. feel they have that abundance approach. So if they yeah. want something, I say, no, it's not your birthday. 
figure out how you're going to make the money for that and do yourself a plan. And I'm happy to help you on the execution and give you some pointers on how you might be able to refine that. And that's really where it gets exciting. But, um, you know, they traveled with me or they didn't travel with me. My favorite thing is getting on a plane and going to London by myself. It's fabulous. (laughs) And I'm coming to see you in Malta soon. So, you know, it's it's going to be great. So, you know, I just wanted to put that out there as well. I feel like this podcast is very much about not only saying, you know, we're on this trajectory to not only be billionaires for, um, you know, our own goals because business is a game, but for me personally, it's to give back and show that business can be a force for good. So how do you see in the financial world, can business be a force for good? Because I'm convinced that governments and, you know, they're, they're not going to they're not going to address the issues that are going on. So business are the ones who need to address it. They just keep getting into more and more debt. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's become to a point where we, we can't even manage that anymore. And so I don't even know what their plan is because it's always so short term. So business to me is what's going to fix the world's problems and address things that we need to address. The billions, when we're talking about billions, the billions of people who are invisible and being left behind. Do you think that finance is going to play a role in that or are they the ones who are going to continue to be like the billions in the devil's show and not really have any regard for that? Well, you know what? That thinking is a cultural issue and they tend to be the older generation. So the the people in billions, if you look at the age gap, I mean, even they're actually about my age and a little bit older when they are, the you know, that's the the low see the low uh, floor for it and then uh, older yes they're awful uh, but I have so much faith now as I'm getting older I'm seeing the young people come through and they are so different in approach so for example the fintech that I'm doing is designed to democratize well I wouldn't be passionate about raising finance or taking the whole thing public if I didn't feel like it was doing something incredible for the world like it wouldn't make me I would feel like I was bad for trying to do anything else. So that kind of morality that is in me is definitely in so many others because I don't do things just for the money. And if that's coming just from me and I've got, I grew up in the eighties, there are people that grew up much, much later and they're only focused on sustainability. For example, I've got a friend who's a billionaire, a guy in the UK. He's the youngest billionaire actually on the, in the UK or maybe the second, but he's from a clothing company and he doesn't do anything for flash. Like he wears the same stuff every day. He will never probably buy a yacht. His wife, I have to be honest, probably might. But, um, you know, him as he has, how he made his money and his, he was all about trying to create that change. So I love the heart that is in the business. So exactly what you're mentoring, coaching people to do, it's already existing. I believe finance is going to go that way because by 2050, every hedge fund, every bank has to have an allocation for ESG. Actually, tomorrow I'm getting invited by the bank in Liechtenstein. That is the biggest ESG provider on the planet. They, they're entertaining me all day tomorrow. Um, and they only put money into projects that are serving the 17 UN goals. And they're actually on the UN board. 
this is the future of money. There's a law that's been passed that everyone has to be green, they have to be carbon, you know, everything has to happen. But slowly they're only putting money into projects that they know are going to tick the boxes of sustainability, democracy, of, uh, you know, reducing poverty. And if it's an emerging market, what are they doing for it? It's no longer just the money. And I've seen that, actually. I've worked with tier one banks. They only put money into water projects, for example, because it's helping what's going on in Africa. They will only put money into projects that tick those boxes. So it's interesting that people think the financial world is still the devil. It isn't in many ways. They are tied to what they put their money into. But the traders, they're the devil. So let's completely separate them, right? So the the bank is or like the uh, policy of the, the funding allocation is generally very good, I have found. But it is the people that are pulling the strings, such as the traders or the traders who are just trying to make money out of stocks markets or, you know, IPOs alone. So trying to take any company public, those ones are the devils. And that's actually what billions is all about, as you, you know. So, uh, yeah, I'm very confident. I'm very excited because... These big companies that are now the new billionaires are getting private equity money from one of them from General Atlantic, and they are very aligned to the vision. So they don't put money into these big companies unless they're aligned with the vision. So I think big money is only going to go into sustainability and impact investing to some extent, you know, like everything will have a huge impact because that's actually what's more on trend. Banks will put money on what's on trend and luckily social media has made the good become on trend. So well, the rise of the conscious consumer, you've got stakeholders who are demanding it, but I still yeah. find a disconnect. Um, you know, you have some great banks, especially you've got so many unicorns coming out of Africa at the moment, and yeah. you, you've got great banks like Equity Bank that, you know, is now valued at $27 billion or something crazy, and they've already made 50 million impacts and they're on their way to do, a, you know, a billion impacts. Like they're, they're really... Uh, doing great work as a financial institution. But yep. what I find is when I talk to Fortune 500s, because I'm all for ESG, but not just ESG is carbon offsets. Like, no, let's actually figure out what we need to address and go after that and come up with, we're entrepreneurs, we're meant to be problem solvers, but they don't understand how to apply their ESG pledges. So there's still a bit of a gap, as I call it, because you've got these Fortune 500s in these banks and financial institutions who are pledging uh, to ESGs, which is wonderful to see, but then we have to figure out, and that's what I'm helping them with, how to apply that without doing what I call the cop-out sort of, you know, carbon emissions and some things that I don't feel are as proactive. Uh, it's yeah. merely ticking boxes as opposed to becoming a net positive business and, and giving more than you take. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that because I see that as well. And yeah. I'm excited for the next wave of, of um, you know, uh, financial leaders that are coming through that have that as part of their agenda and not just an offset. Yeah, and you're very right. The way they quantify the ESG impact, even the bank that is LGT Bank is the specific one, and they don't know. They even said we're part of the UN, we're the biggest ESG uh, investor on the planet, but we still don't know how to quantify the effects of what we're doing or like measure it. You know, they don't know how much impact they're actually creating because it's so loose. So you're very right. And actually, one area which I hate, and I always see this and it's China-based, um, is construction. They try and do all this ethical construction, but China still will not 
listen to anyone. So when it comes to the funding that goes in, uh, India and China are the culprits here. You know, so I hate to say it, they're they're the big nations that are overtaking everyone else, but they do not play by the same rule book. And unfortunately, that's where our problem is because all of the the construction, um, you know, all of the steel, all of that is not being created in the way that we all hope. And it, that's where the profits are uh, affected because it's so much cheaper doing it the way they've always done it, which is really bad for the environment, but they are not willing to change. And I see the funds that are going back into the UK, a country that plans to be green, and uh, they still just take the supply. They just change it on the books, you know? So I see a lot of corruption in that area. So the way they construct buildings is still not clean uh, and the roads and everything else so there's huge industries that need it but the smaller companies are easier to change but it's those bigger nations and and, you know with ai and uh, data warehousing and all these things that we have there are technology that's coming to play which we can measure and track this in real time and provide true transparency around ESGs and what companies are doing. And, I, you know, that's what I think I welcome the most. There's no longer the faceless billionaire. Like if you want to run a business and you want to put yourself out there, people want to know who is behind that brand before they'll make them into a billionaire. And I think the second thing is the transparency. And whilst it's a very, you'll find out tomorrow when you go to this event, whilst it's a it's a really hot topic and kind of a sensitive topic, uh, what I always say, sustainability and ESGs is a not a destination, it's a journey. And we only do as much as we can. We do our best until we know better. And as long as we're investing in innovation, as long as we're we, we're showing up with good intentions and we're not using offsets but actually getting involved in being problem solvers for the issues that we're trying to address around those 17 sustainability goals, then, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we're doing our best until we know better. So I look forward to your feedback on that tomorrow. I could talk to you about all this stuff for hours, but I'm sure our listeners have thoroughly enjoyed a different perspective on two females in business talking about wealth creation and uh, all sorts of things, impact, families, but just a little bit of a different filter. So I hope that's changed your view or given you some new ideas about, you know, how women can show up in business and, uh, you know, how you can lead with confidence and step out and, and tap on shoulders like ours and say, you know, help us, mentor us, show us the way so that we can all work towards getting to your goal, 50-50 of women who are billionaires. I love that as a goal. Thank you so much for being on the show today. You are a dynamo. Everyone follow her on Instagram. Um, get her to, gosh, you'll be at <laughs> you'll be at a million in uh, no time. So uh, please follow her and and show some love. Let's all celebrate each other and show up in abundance. That's my call to you today. Thanks so much, Tamara. You've been an absolute star. Need more women like you. And yeah, this conversation was so powerful. I'm sure it's going to make a great impact to everyone listening. Thank you. Thank you, my love. See you soon. (laughs) Thanks for brunching with us. If you're wanting to scale your revenue and impact, apply to join a group of like-minded entrepreneurs in an elite private forum guided by Tamara and Natalie as your mentors. To apply, go to buesaleacademy.com slash interview. That's B-E-U-S-A-I-L academy.com slash interview. 
Also, be sure to subscribe to Brunch with Billionaires for alerts when a new episode is released. Till next time, lead with profit and purpose.